In the name of God, the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. It's wonderful to see people in the cathedral uh, again. And even if we have to be careful and keep our distance, uh, we're gathered together uh, in the one fellowship uh, before our Lord and Savior. So praise be to God for that, and praise God for your loyalty and your fidelity and your courage in coming out. I'm going to continue speaking about St. Paul's letter to the, to the Romans. Uh, we've been reading uh, Romans the last few weeks. We'll, we'll, we'll have it a few more. It's a remarkable letter. It is a letter by a man who has been completely transformed by his encounter with Jesus Christ. And it is a letter about the transforming power that is in Jesus Christ. And it's a letter about how we come into that transforming power in and through our baptism. And it gives us instruction about how to make our baptism um, not just the substitute for the Christian life, but the beginning of it. So that it's a real living presence in us. And that we continue to be immersed in him as we were when we were baptized. Martin Luther says about the letter to the Romans, he says, it's the purest gospel that a Christian man should know it off by heart. And there's so many famous sections of it, but here is one of the most famous verses in the, gospel, in the uh, letter to the Romans. There are many famous. Uh, St. Paul says, I, uh, neither heights nor depths nor principalities, nor powers, nor things above, nor things below, or anything in the whole creation can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. That's very famous, but so is this. The good that I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's a very famous verse. And here we have St. Paul giving us the Christian understanding of the human predicament. He's come to remap human nature, and he's come to remap um, the, the, the human soul and also the human community. Uh, before he met Christ, on the road to Damascus, Paul had a very, well, his name was Saul then. You know, he hadn't had the encounter, so his name hadn't changed. Saul had a very neat map of uh, humanity. There were, there were the Greeks who didn't know God and who were idolaters and beyond the pale in every way. And there were God's chosen people, the people of Israel. And amongst the people of Israel, there were those who heard and kept the law and those who did not. And the hope for Israel and the hope really for the whole world was that those who didn't keep the law could be separated out from those that did and that Israel could be kept separate from the idolaters and the Gentiles. So Paul, Saul, on his way to Damascus, he thinks he's the friend of God because he's, he's, he's 
there's this sect, you know, and, and uh, uh, they're watering down the true faith and we've got to get rid of them. We've got to purify the community. And so he's on his way to Damascus to arrest the Christians there and to take them back to the temple and some of them will be executed. He thinks he's the friend of God. He thinks he's on a mission from God. He thinks he's doing the will of God. He thinks he's a righteous man completely employed in a righteous cause. And then he encounters the crucified and risen one. I always think of him as uh, laying on the ground with this big white horse standing over him. Of course, that's not in the Bible. It's Caravaggio's famous painting. But it captures well the what can we say, the, uh, the unhorsing of the man, right? His, his being utterly undone and cast to the ground. He's not God's friend, he's God's enemy. He's not on a mission from God, he's operating against the mission of God. He's not uh, purifying the church of God, he's persecuting and murdering the members of the, pers the, the church of God. His whole world is turned upside down. He discovers himself there as a rebel, as someone who is completely mistaken, and as a murderer. He discovers himself not as an upholder of the righteous word of God, but as a blasphemer. Not as someone who is making the way for the Messiah to come, but as someone who is actually re-crucifying the Messiah. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Because he's attacking the body of Christ, which is Christ's people. And there in that moment of self-recognition, the Savior, the crucified and risen one, reaches out his wounded hands to him in mercy and forgiveness and with the offer of new life. Now that's the foundational experience for Paul's gospel. He's writing to the, he's writing to the people in Rome. He's, he's, he's giving them a summary of his apostolic teaching and he's, 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 he's telling them what the good news is. And the good news, among other things, is the answer to a problem. And the way that Paul talks about this problem is that he talks about it in terms of the law. Now the law, the Torah, the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament consists of the law and the prophets and the writings. The law, the Ten Commandments, the law is good in every way. St. Paul says it's good in every way. But he also says it's a curse to me. Why is it a curse to me? Because the law shows me who I need to be, and the law shows me who I am, and the law shows me the gap between those two things, and the law gives me no way of closing the gap. Paul talks about the contrast between the old life and the new life in Jesus Christ in many ways. 
And one of the ways that he talks about it is he talks about it as a, as a, as a, as a, as, as a deliverance from slavery to freedom. Sin is brought to light by the law, which though it's good in itself becomes a curse for that very reason. I always, uh, I have a humble metaphor for this. You go to the gym, right? Uh, because you're, you're working out and you're feeling pretty good about yourself until somebody who comes in who's really fit. Okay. You see what the standard really is. So he says, in my body, there's a, there's a power that works against the goodness that I want to achieve, the goodness that I want to be. There's a power working against me. Now, we, all of us have experienced this. If you've ever beaten a bad habit, if you've ever tried to give up smoking, for instance, or anybody who's tried to keep a diet in a serious way, you're up against embodied patterns. Yeah. There, there, there are these trails that have been blazed in your brain and these trails that have been blazed in your body. I know people that try to give up smoking tell me they don't know what to do with their hands. St. Paul talks about this as he, he perceives in his body the law of sin and he finds himself weak and frail and unable to conquer. He knows what's good. He wants to be good. He can't be as good as he wants to be. Now, if you, if you, if you don't resonate to that problem, the gospel's not going to be very interesting to you. Um, but if you are ever disappointed in yourself. If you ever come to the place, and I come to it plenty, where I find myself defeated again and again by the same frailty and failing and sin, then you're ready to hear the good news, which Paul says. He says, what good I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. I find a law working in my body that is contrary to the person that I really want to be, who will deliver me from the body of death? Praise be to God for Jesus Christ, our Lord. So in and through Jesus Christ, there's a new power which is available to us. In him, a new kind of life has appeared, a life which is perfectly obedient to God and God's law. A, a, a life which is not only righteous outwardly, but righteous inwardly. A life of perfect love for God and perfect love for his brothers and sisters. A life which conquers sin and evil, and St. Paul says, the last enemy of all, which is death. And that victory is available to us by being immersed in him, in and through our baptism starts at the font, but every day being immersed in him. So that there's a, a new law, a new power. It's the power to triumph over that which habitually 
defeats us. So what does that mean? Does that mean that there's no more struggle anymore? No, life continues to be a struggle. Life continues to be a struggle. And St. Paul throughout this letter is, is beseeching people to turn from the old life and to turn away from the, from the enslaving power and to turn towards the ennobling, dignifying, and freeing power. How do you do it? By assiduously using all of the ordinary means of grace, including the reading of the scriptures, prayer, and the assembly. Martin Luther <clears throat> reflects on this text, <clears throat> and he has a famous phrase. He says, this shows us that even after conversion, Christians are simultus, euster, and peccator. That is, that we're simultaneously justified and, and sinners. It means that the new life even now is making itself present in us, but the struggle continues. We're both sinners in need of redemption. We'll always be sinners in need of redemption this side of the grave. Maybe say it uh, this way. Um, we will always be sinners, always struggling with sin, always need salvation, always need grace, always need the divine assistance that is freely offered to us, freely offered, in and through the means of grace that the Savior has established, whereby we can come in and under him and be immersed in the grave-defeating life that is in him. We are uh, simultaneously sinners and simultaneously ones who are being saved. And as St. Paul says, we press on towards the mark, you know, a runner running for the finish line. We press on towards the mark of the high calling that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I want to finish by making a connection between this vision that St. Paul holds out to us, the vision, this vision of the human problem and the solution to the human problem. A new kind of life as a person and a new kind of life in community, which is our free gift in Jesus Christ the Lord available to us through an ongoing immersion and formation in him. I want to, yesterday was the Feast of the Fourth of July, and I want to make a connection between this biblical vision of humanity and um, some of the founding documents of our country. The Declaration of Independence is based on the biblical insight that everyone is equal before God. That we have human dignity and human rights simply by virtue of being made in the image and likeness of God. That's uh, enshrined in our Declaration of Independence. Our Constitution is based on the sober understanding of human nature which is preserved for us in the seventh chapter of the Book of Romans, which is that we are, we are, we are, we are always um, sinners who need saving. We can make real progress in holiness, but we don't ever become perfect. And we are always liable to be tempted into evil, and we are always liable to massive self-deception. Therefore, nobody gets to be trusted completely. Therefore, you need checks and balances. Therefore, you need a Bill of Rights. 
When you divide the world into this class that is completely virtuous and this class which is completely wicked, and this happens again and again in history, there's a tremendous difference between our revolution and the French Revolution. There were no checks and balances in the, in the French Revolution. There were no checks and balances on the assembly and the committee of safety. I think in about a year's time, they executed 40,000 people in the Place de la, de la, de la Revolution, right? Uh, the Nazis had a different way of looking at it. The pure people were a particular race. The wicked people were another particular race. Get rid of that race and everything will be good. And millions, how many millions? The scholars debate it. Um, maybe Stalin purged a million point two counter-revolutionaries. How many people died during the Cultural Revolution? How many people died in the killing fields of Pol Pot? We give thanks to God that uh, our Constitution has this realistic view of human nature and that it protects us. And here is the thing that I think Christians can contribute to the public square in this moment, humility. If you're a sinner, if you're someone whose prayer is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Messianic pride is not an option for you. Humility, charity, forbearance, patience, long-suffering love. This is the way God treats you. This is the way you're called to treat your neighbor. Humility Patience, love, these are things that are in short supply. Thanks be to God that they are God's free gift to us and his call to us to reach for the high mark that is in Jesus Christ the Lord. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.